We start a new series. Can you guess what the series is? Oh, man, came up too soon. Not really. But, but what do you see over here? A whale. Uh, when you saw the whale, could you have guessed that the series is going to be about Jonah? Uh, when, when we think of Jonah, we do think of a whale. Uh, and yet, even though... Uh, the, the popularity of the story of Jonah uh, really does center around this idea of a whale swallowing him whole uh, and then spitting him out. Um, that's really not the story of Jonah. And every week we're going to have this, this whale as a reminder of who Jonah is, but it's my hope and prayer that by the end of this series we see this whale not in terms of a fish that swallowed Jonah, but as a reminder of God's call upon our life to fulfill the mission that he's given us. Now, that really is what Jonah is about. Jonah uh, was a prophet, and being a prophet, he had a special uh, calling from God uh, to do what God wanted him to do. As a prophet, Uh, Literally in the Old Testament, a prophet was one who was clothed by the Holy Spirit and given a message to share. And the prophet's duty, his calling, his life was to share the message of the Lord to the people. And yet what happens when the prophet refuses to share? What happens when the prophet decides, I'm not going to do that? The story of Jonah tells us what happens. Now, you might think, all right, well, this is good. It's going to be about an Old Testament prophet. And and what does that have to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with us because I believe Jonah uh, is a picture of who we are as followers of Christ. Clothed by the Spirit of God... Upon our salvation, God has given us a purpose and a mission. When we, by faith, receive Jesus, we just sang about it. We just sang about this is how we know love. Not that we first loved God, but that he loved us. That Jesus came to rescue sinners like you and me. That through his death on the cross, I find forgiveness for my sin forever and I brought into a fellowship with God because the righteousness of Christ covers me and because of Christ's righteousness I am now fit for heaven and fellowship and friendship with God we've sung about it this is what we celebrate please understand we are a church that uh, at least in practice and in our calling and in our purpose we're a church that that says only Folks who are followers of Jesus can be part of the membership of this church. What that means is, if you're here today and you're a good religious person, but you have never crossed the line of faith through repentance of sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never entered into not a religious transaction with God, but rather into a relational uh, encounter with God on a daily basis through faith in Christ. If, if, if you have never experienced that life-transforming new birth that Jesus delivers those who come to him in faith, 
then you can't be a member of this church. We're, we're what's known as a believer's congregation. And, and because of that, we, we assume at some level that if you're a member of the church, you're a follower of Jesus. And, and we display that, that being a follower of Jesus through baptism. Baptism doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Baptism is a declaration that you have crossed the line of faith to become a follower of Jesus. And that's why we practice believer's baptism. So that when you, as an individual, are convicted of your sin by the Spirit of God, you see your need for Jesus and and His death on the cross as payment for your sin, His resurrection from the dead as your opportunity to have new life in Him, and you repent your sin and you cry out to Jesus, Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive my sin. Become Lord of my life. I submit myself to you. When you cry out to Jesus in faith and ask God to save you, God saves you and you are transformed and changed. And in that moment that you experience salvation, he pours his spirit within you and you are a follower of Jesus, no longer the same as you were. You are a new creation in Christ. Again, that's not a religious transaction, but rather it's a relational experience with God. And once you have done that, then and only then do we say, let's be baptized. And so it is believer's baptism. And you're here today and you're a member of this church, then then at some point in time you have declared that you are a follower of Jesus and the Spirit of God resides within you. If today you're a member of this church and you have never experienced that, then I beg you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God today. Again, even Baptists can get captured in religious transactions and pretend like that's good enough. But it's not good enough. So today, what we want to do is we want to live out the calling and the purpose that God has planted on our lives as his followers. And every person who is a follower of Jesus has this purpose. It's the same purpose that the prophet Jonah had. And that is to glorify God, to serve him, to enjoy him, to live for him. That is the purpose of every person who is part of God's family. Every person who has embraced Jesus as Savior and King, your purpose is not to be happy. Your purpose is not to do better or be successful at your job. Your purpose is not to be a good person. Your purpose is to live for God's glory, to bring him honor, to, uh, to, to serve him in a life and a lifestyle of faithfulness. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is your purpose. That is my purpose. It is the same purpose. And Jonah had that purpose. The scripture says in Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord, that is a picture of God speaking to Jonah in a unique way, in a special way. And that special declaration from God to Jonah was so that Jonah might then fulfill his purpose in serving God and share God's message with others. 
Make no mistake, as followers of Jesus, you have received that same word. When the Spirit of God came upon you, uh, you received that, that spiritual gift of receiving the word so that you might share the word, the word of God, the truth of God, the message of the gospel. The very message that saved you is the message that, that God has planted in your heart and mind to share. The word of the Lord came to Eric Thomas. The word of the Lord came to you and to me as followers of Jesus. It's not something that is reserved only for preacher types like me. But it is something that is given to every follower of Jesus. Why? Because when Pentecost happened, Acts chapter 2, we're doing a little Bible study. This is deep theology. Don't know if y'all know this, deep theology. In Acts chapter 2, After Jesus has been uh, crucified, after he's been buried, after he's risen from the dead, spent time with his followers, and then ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus said uh, that, that he was going to give the Spirit to his people. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says that you'll be witnesses when the Spirit uh, comes upon you. You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jesus was saying, I'm going to give you the Spirit so that you can be my witness, so that you can be my proclaimer. Uh, That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God, and the disciples, the followers, a a couple of hundred followers are, are gathered together, and they're praying earnestly. For God to visit them, and suddenly at Pentecost, the 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 Spirit of God fell upon the followers of Christ. And in that moment, everything changed for all time, for all believers. Peter stood up and he said, what's just happened, this Spirit of God falling upon all all of Christ's followers, what just happened is fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, God said, there will be a day when he pours out his spirit on all flesh so that you will become prophets. Now, what does that mean? And Peter said, this is what's been fulfilled. That that what God promised to Joel has been fulfilled here. The spirit of God has been poured out on us. Now we are prophets. The spirit of God has been poured out on you. Now you are prophets. What does that mean? It means that you have been given The grace and the gift and the calling and the mission of Christian proclamation, of declaring the word of the Lord, the message of God. So you and I have a purpose, that is to serve God. You and I have a mission, and that is to share the good news of God's grace found in Jesus Christ. We have this purpose. We have this mission, just as Jonah did. So when God says in verse 2, arise and go to Nineveh, we see Jonah hearing the mission spelled out in specificity. He's supposed to get up and go on a rescue mission. Today, you and I have this wondrous purpose to bring God glory. Every person here is a follower of Christ. And we have this wondrous mission But this mission is not merely to declare in the the, uh, nebulous air what 
God has done for sinners through Christ. But rather, it is to go on a rescue mission to sinners. Uh, God said to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. It was a great city. It was the centerpiece of a foreign power that had come and raped and pillaged Israel. It is the centerpiece, the center city of, of the hostile and the enemies of God. And the people of God. Uh, Nineveh was the city that housed every enemy that Jonah could think of. The Ninevites were not um, uh, nice people. They were cruel people. The Ninevites were not good people. They were wicked people. The Ninevites were the terrorists of their day who had gone around conquering different lands for their own pleasure, killing people at their own leisure, and had determined that they, were, uh, they had every right to do it because they were the most powerful people in place. They were the terrorists, and God said to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. God was sending Jonah on a rescue mission. We'll see this more clearly in Jonah chapter 4, where Jonah says, God, I knew that you were a forgiving God, and I was afraid, I was afeared that you were going to give Nineveh a chance. And the truth is, that's exactly what Jonah believed God was doing when he was sending him to go and preach to Nineveh. Now, guys, i got to tell you, As it was for Jonah, so it is for us. For us as followers of Jesus, for us as the church, God sends us on a rescue mission every single day. Not occasionally, uh, not, not, not once in a while, but every single day. God has planted in your heart the wondrous spirit of, of God. And he has graced you with all that you need to share the good news of God's redeeming, rescuing love through faith in Jesus Christ. This is your mission. This is my mission. This is not a mission for professionals just like me, but this is a mission for every follower of Christ who lives and breathes. For we live for God's purpose, His glory, to honor Him, to serve Him. And how do we glorify Him? How do we honor Him? How do we serve Him? By sharing the good news of His rescuing love with people who are in darkness. And it does not matter whether they are good people or bad people as we measure goodness and badness. And it does not matter if they are safe people or dangerous people as we measure safety and danger. What does matter is that God has called us to share and we must fulfill our calling. God sends us on a rescue mission and it is not an option. It is who we are. As the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said that as new creatures in Christ, we are now ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Your mission, my mission, is the same mission. The church's mission is the same mission. To go and share the terms for peace between God and rebellious humanity. To take those with whom we share and who embrace Christ as Lord and Savior and make disciples so that they in turn might go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone that they encounter. Arise and go to Nineveh. That is your call. That is my call. 
That is this church's call. But what happens when you don't want to go to Nineveh? That's verse 3. In verse 3, uh, Jonah responds and, he sa- and, and, and it says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. I want you to get the picture here in verse 2 and verse 3. God says, Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah arose and went to Tarshish. He booked his fare on a ship that would take him as far away from God's assignment as he could possibly run. And he did it because he hated Nineveh. He did it because he despised the Ninevites. He did it because he believed that God would offer them a chance at repentance and rescue. And he was unwilling for that to happen. He would rather see the Ninevites go straight to hell than be a part of their rescue or their salvation. And so instead of arising and going to Nineveh, Jonah arose and went to Tarshish because he had a crooked heart. He was a prophet of God, but his heart was crooked. His heart was crooked because he was elevating what he wanted rather than what God wanted. His heart was crooked because he thought that his desires were more important than God's will. His heart was crooked because he determined that his preferences and his prejudices were more important than what God wanted to see accomplished. He, he, he had a crooked heart because he decided that his glory was more important than God's glory. And that's who we are as well. Disobedience flows out of a crooked heart. You might say, well, Eric, how can you say that I have a crooked heart? Don't you see me here every week? Don't you recognize where I'm sitting? I mean, some of y'all are not sitting in the right seats today. I think I've already called out a couple of you. Yes, of course I see you seated seated right where you are and and I recognize that you are here and 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 that you have gathered here and and you do that faithfully Eric how can you say that I have a crooked heart don't you know that I'm a deacon or a bible a life group leader bible study Sunday school teacher life group leader whatever it's called don't you know that I'm a life group leader? Eric, how can you say that I have a crooked heart? Don't you know that I have a one-hour quiet time every day? Eric, how can you say that I have a crooked heart? Don't you see how I pray and uh, earnestly seek the heart of God? Eric, how can you say that I have a, a, a crooked heart? Didn't you see me lifting my hands in worship to God? Eric, how can you say that I have a crooked heart? Didn't you see me shed tears of, 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 of delight in, in, in my personal communion with God. Eric, how can you say that I have a crooked heart? Simple. Every act of disobedience comes from crookedness in our heart. And friends, when we decide that we will not fulfill our purpose 
by fulfilling God's mission, we have a crooked heart. And it doesn't matter how many times you attend worship, how many Bible studies we lead, or how many, how many scriptures we memorize. When we are disobedient in this, the mission that God has given us, then we have a crooked heart, just as Jonah did. Disobedience to God's purpose is a reflection of crookedness in us. And you might say, well, Eric, the reason I don't share my faith with others is because I I, I don't have the gift of evangelism. One of the biggest cop-outs I've ever heard in my lifetime. I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's why I don't share my faith. No, you don't share your faith because you don't want to share your faith. We don't share our faith Because we're scared to share our faith. We don't share our faith because we're too consumed with self to share our faith. We don't share our faith because we're too busy chasing our other uh, desires to share our faith. The gift of evangelism has nothing whatsoever to do with our obedience to God in fulfilling the mission that He's given us. When people say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, what you're saying, most people in my experience, what what you're saying is, I don't really enjoy talking to people about Jesus. I get that. It's uncomfortable. And friends, it's going to be increasingly more uncomfortable to talk to people about Jesus. But that is no excuse not to fulfill the mission that God has given us. It's not easy. It's not fun sometimes, unless you're a little bit off. But when did we decide that something being hard is an excuse not to do what God wants us to do? See, Jonah just decided. You see it? I mean, Jonah just decided. And by the way, the same is true for the church. When the church decides that, uh, that some other mission is more important than God's mission. And by the way, God's mission is laid out very clearly. God's mission is not for the church to make everybody in the church happy. God's mission for the church is not for the church to, uh, uh, to maintain a level of cultural affinities. God's mission for the church is not for us to cocoon up and make sure that we maintain the way of life that we've known since the 1950s or 60s or 40s or 80s. That'd be my generation. God's mission for the church is very simple. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all peoples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've taught you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I also send you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses for me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, God's mission is clear. And it's not about our happiness, and it's not about our comfort, and it's not about our building, and it's not about our, 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 our affinity groups, it's not about our, uh, our, our cultural uh, church culture that we're trying to protect. No, our mission is to make disciples of all nations. Of go, uh, uh, our mission is to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who are lost and, and lead them to faith in Christ 
so that they might be discipled and equipped and go and share the gospel with other people. This is our mission, and our mission does not depend upon our building, and our mission will, uh, does not depend upon, uh, uh, upon our cultural affinities, and our mission only depends upon our faithfulness and obedience as the church. And it doesn't matter what BDOT does to our property, our mission will remain the same. So today, we must commit ourselves to this mission. But it's hard to commit yourself to a mission when your heart is crooked with disobedience. By the way, the cure of of disobedience is repentance followed up by obedience. But Jonah wasn't into that. He booked his ticket to Tarshish, and then he went a-riding. And and, uh, the, the... the, the picture here in this passage is one uh, that is um, very poignant. As you look in verse 4, it says, The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. And the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. And Jonah, he went down to the lowest parts of the ship, and, and he lay down, and he was fast asleep. Captain came to him and said, oh, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, there's another term, arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And, and the sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And, and Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So as we look at this passage, verses 4 through uh, 9, what, what is it that we see? Well, we see that God is graciously working to set us back on course. And God is working graciously in Jonah's life to get him back on course. Now, that gracious work of a living God was not fun, but it was still gracious. It wasn't comfortable, but it was still gracious. Uh, and in fact, Jonah, in his disobedience, was, he was bringing other people into the danger zone of his own rebellion. Can I just say, personal experience, scriptural truth. When we, of a crooked heart, determine to pursue continually our personal rebellion, we will bring others into the carnage. And it will be painful for all. And the consequences of that carnage may be eased by God's grace, but many of those consequences will remain. Our disobedience is not a small matter. Our disobedience to God and the mission that He has given us is not, not a small matter. And so God, verse 4, God sent the storm. God sent the storm. And the sailors recognized that it was not a usual kind of storm, that it was an unusual storm. Uh, These were sailors. They were salty sailors. They were experienced sailors. They were mariners. They had traveled this this course to Tarshish before. They had experienced all sorts of different uh, storms that had raged down upon them. But, But they recognized that this storm had a supernatural quality 
to it, that there was something unusual about this storm, something severe about this storm, something sudden about this storm. They recognized that it was different. And so they began to cry out to their false little idol gods and, and, and cry out for help. And that didn't work. They were looking for somebody to call on the right God who could give the right help. They found Jonah. I, 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 want, you to, I want you to notice a couple of things about this. So uh, the, the storm came as a correction for Jonah. Do you realize that not every storm that happens to you comes from the devil? I, I, I was in uh, our, our uh, 18 to 20-something-year-old uh, 127 group meets on Thursday nights, and, and uh, we had a Q&A with that crew, and, and as I, they asked questions, and I would give answers, and, and they, that's thus a Q&A, duh. Um, In public speaking, that's called filler. When you're trying to let your mind catch up with your mouth, that's called filler. Anyway, uh, so we were having this Q&A. One of the questions was, how do you know that a storm or a bad time or a difficult circumstance, how do you know if it's from God or from the devil? And my response is, I always assume it's from God. My first inclination is that any difficulty, any, any um, storm that happens in my life, I immediately assume first that that is from God. That there is something that God is, is trying to adjust in me. That there is something that God is trying to correct in me. That there is something that God is trying to develop in me. I always assume first that it is from God. It's not, it's not until down the road that I even begin to consider whether or not the devil had anything to do with it. You know, I say, well, well, don't you believe that, that the devil can do stuff like that? Yeah, but I, 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 I just think that God's greater than the devil, and, and if a storm's coming on me, I, I, there's something that God's trying to teach me. And can, can I just uh, quickly, you know, uh, our, our property is getting ready to be taken over by VDOT, and it's going to affect everything that we do. I mean, it's going to affect, it's going to affect everything that we do. That, that's going to happen. And there's nothing we can do to keep it from happening. But that's okay. That's okay. They're expanding the highway. They're going to expand the highway, and, and the, the flyover is going to be within 75 feet of the corner of this building. That's when it's done. During construction, it's going to be closer. So there are things that are going to have to change, and, and, and there are things that are going to have to adjust. And, and, and I want you to know, I don't think that's the work of the enemy. I think that's the work of a sovereign God setting us up so that we might step up to what he has called us to do. I believe that it is the work of an almighty God who is preparing us and equipping us and challenging us so that we might move forward faithfully and more aggressively in accomplishing the mission that he's given us. I don't think that the storm is somehow attributed to bad circumstances or the devil. I think that this is circumstances that the sovereign God of the universe has laid upon First Baptist Norfolk because he wants to develop us so that he might show us how we can fulfill his mission in a better, more faithful way. So when we look at all the things that are getting ready to happen, I want to challenge you, don't, don't bail on us because it's going to get uncomfortable. Stick with us because it's getting ready to get great. So as we look at what God is doing, we need to understand that God is going to set us on track 
He's trying to set us back on course, but sometimes our rebellion becomes so entrenched and our disobedience becomes so fixed that we determine that we will not be moved. Our, Our disobedience becomes such a part of us, rather than the mission being part of who we are, being who we are, we've allowed our disobedience and our rebellion to define us. And when that happens, our disobedience leads to apathy. An apathetic view. Here is the prophet of God sleeping in the hull of the boat. He just doesn't care. They cast lots. The sailors cast lots. They find out this is the guy that's responsible for this storm. And he doesn't care. They ask him, who are you? And they say, he says, I'm a Hebrew. That's a doctrinally true statement. He says uh, that... That, uh, that God is the maker of the earth and the sea, the sea that is rolling around like crazy. He said, God is the maker of that. That's true. That's a doctrinally correct statement. But in the middle between I'm a Hebrew and God is the maker of heaven and the sea, the earth and the dry land, is a, is a statement that, that Jonah makes that's not quite true. You see it? He says, I fear God. That's a lie. You see, it is an impossibility to fear God and disobey Him at the same time. To fear God simply means that we adjust every aspect of our life to fit what He wants. That's fearing God. Fearing God is where we determine that that He deserves everything He demands from us. And we give it willingly obediently, passionately, urgently, purposefully. So when God says to you, I want you to share your faith, and you say, I fear God, you don't say, I fear God, and then run to Tarshish. You say, I fear God, and you run to Nineveh. Today, God is calling you to share your faith, but, but what happens is in our disobedience, we become apathetic. We, we run from God's presence. You see that in verse 3. In verse 3, Jonah said, uh, he said it says that, that Jonah arose and, and, and fled to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord, away from the Lord's face. He didn't want to be anywhere near God. Why? Because he was being disobedient to God. He wanted to play the game of a prophet. He wanted, to, he wanted to say the words of a prophet, but he didn't want to go to Nineveh, so he was rebellious, and he didn't want to be around God to remind him of his rebellion and his disobedience. Can I tell you that many people who do not come to the corporate gathering of God's people called the church and are gathering here, it's not because of the music. It's not because of the preaching, although the preaching is not that great sometimes. The reason people don't come here is either they don't know Jesus or they're being disobedient to God. And that's that simple. They don't want to be reminded of their disobedience. You might say, well, isn't, isn't, couldn't it be some... No, it can't be. Because God has called you as a follower of Jesus to worship Him in the corporate setting. And when you decide that you're not going to worship Him in the corporate setting because your own prejudices or preferences or your own disobediences, understand it's on you. It's not on the rest of the church to fit your prejudice or your preference. It's on you. 
It's your disobedience. Now, I understand we, well, there are a lot of reasons why people don't come because of health reasons. I'm not talking about that. But there are good and healthy people that don't want to be in here because when they're in here, it reminds them of their rebellion against God. So we, we, we need to, we, if we have friends, people doing that kind of stuff, you need to call them out on it. You need to say, look, you need to get back in church. You, you need to be in the corporate setting. You need to be under the preaching of God's Word. Why? But because it's going to help you grow in obedience. Look, I don't even like all the sermons I preach. Seriously, I get so bored by 1230, I'm thinking, good not, did I really say that four times? But that's not the point. See, the point is God speaks. And the word of the Lord came to you. And you're either going to say yes or you're going to say no. But our disobedience, when we run from the presence of the Lord, and we run away so much so that, that we're ready to get on a ship to go to the, as, far, get away, as far away from God's gathering as we can, and, and we get to that far and distant place or we're on our way, we, we, just, we don't care about the rest of the stuff. I, I want you to, and, and, and quickly, we're at the end of this, but uh, just beginning in verse, uh, verse 11. Then they said to Jonah, what, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And, and Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. They didn't want to throw him in the sea. They knew he'd die. And uh, that's what he was asking for. And they didn't want him to die. They didn't want his blood to be on their hands, so they tried to get him ashore. So they rode hard to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. God didn't want that to be an option. So he grew the waves larger. Verse 14, so they cried out to the Lord, and they said, We pray, O Lord, please don't let us perish for this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done, done as as it pleased you. And they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, so, so what's the picture? Jonah was ready. He would rather die than be obedient to God. That's how apathetic he was. He just, he said, throw me in the ocean, let me die. I'd rather die than share the message that God has given to Nineveh. Can I say that for the church, the church comes to a crossroads all the time where we have to decide, will we be obedient to God or will we be disobedient to God? And some churches choose to die rather than fulfill God's mission. And you as a follower of Jesus and me as a follower of Christ, God shares with us and calls us to this mission of sharing the good news with others. And some of us would rather rebel against God's call and our soul wilt, wither, and die. Today, my prayer for you is that the apathy would end. And that it be replaced by an urgency. And the whale came along, swallowed up Jonah. That's next week. But here's the good news. The whale was not judgment. 
the whale was a second chance. And in the same way today, God has given you a second chance. He's giving me a second chance, a a second chance to return to the purpose that God has for us, and that is to bring him glory and fulfill the mission that God has given us, and that is to bring rescue to people who are perishing. You might say, well, I I feel ill-equipped to do it. I understand. And, and, And in the next few weeks, we're going to try to put some tools in your hands to help you share the gospel with others. But let's just begin today by saying, Dear Jesus, you give me my assignment, and I will say yes. You put people in my path, and I'll speak up. You open a door, and I will walk through. Dear Jesus, I say yes. Would you bow your heads today? Father, in these moments as we've gathered here for your glory, I pray. I pray that for each of us that we, would, that we wouldn't be racked with guilt over our rebellion, but that we would be drawn to repentance over our rebellion. That we wouldn't, that we wouldn't respond in anger to your word, and to your calling, but that we would respond in humility and obedience to your calling. God, that, that we wouldn't be stuck in our apathy, but that we would be enlivened by your Spirit toward an urgency to share the good news of your love with others. Well, Father, I pray that every person here in this room would at the very least sense your purpose for their life and that they would be captured by your mission upon which you are sending them. And may we, your church, be faithful. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.